Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm really excited to have on the call today Scott Bales, who is the author of Mobile Ready and the soon-to-be-released Innovation Wars, which, when this goes live, will be uh, will be actually being crowdfunded, uh, crowd-published on Publishizer.com. And we're going to get into a little bit about why Scott is using that to get his book out there into the world, a little bit about the publishing model that he's pursuing, which is pretty exciting if you're interested in self-publishing or publishing in general. And, uh, and we'll also dig into the book itself, uh, what innovation wars actually means, how do we drive innovation in companies and corporations, and even as individuals, even as startup founders or freelancers, how we can drive innovation. I think there's a thread that runs through all of that and that the most successful companies are people at and companies that innovate. So, Scott, thank you so much for being on the call with us today. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for having me. Totally. So, okay, I do want to dig into the publishizer and the the crowd publishing aspect of the book, but I want to save that till till after the first part. I want you to give us a, a, some background on yourself and, and Innovation Wars itself, the book. Yes, I, uh, it's it's interesting story. It's it's one of a what I call the reformed banker come entrepreneur. Uh, I I grew up as a professional banker in Australia, uh, and, and a random chance uh, to be thrown into Southeast Asia turned me into an entrepreneur, predominantly in the financial services sector. And that's where I've thrived, but uh, in also other sectors. Uh, since two thousand and eight, uh, I've successfully driven the the creation of a number of startups on all four continents around the planet. Uh, with the basically the headlines being, I've helped create three companies exceed one hundred million dollar valuations. Um, basically, through a methodology of uh, what I call structured innovation. It wasn't called innovation back then. It was a, a hybrid of like design thinking slash lean startup. Uh, to essentially how do we build meaningful products that actually scale. Um, the book that I'm writing right now, Innovation Wars, is basically pulling together you know, eight years of work uh, all around the world uh, in a framework that is easy to pick up and digest and then start executing on very, 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 very quickly. Uh, in my day job today is actually as a, uh, a corporate advisor and consultant on, on innovation, uh, working with everything from startups up through to multi, multinationals. Uh, and so the book is meant to be a, a, a way of scaling um, you know, the knowledge that I want to impart on others uh, on how they can build better products and uh, better services. I love it. So take me through that concept of how do we actually, you know, people, to some degree, innovation is one of those kind of buzzwords. It's like disruption or something like that. Um, I think innovation is more appropriate than disruption, but um, and, and I think there's a huge amount of value in being innovative. But talk me through how we actually uh, become, uh, you know, how, how does a company implement innovation? How does it actually innovate? Yeah, and it's, it's, a, good, it's a really good question, Tom, because the answer does not lie in the corporate world. 
Uh, and this is the struggle that mo most multinationals actually, uh, uh, you know, really, really cannot grasp. Uh, and the answer actually comes from how the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the, you know, the Ubers, the Airbnbs of the world, how they built their product. That's where the answer actually comes from. The, the, the huge difference between two generations of companies is if you look at most of the Fortune 500 today, they built their product in the industrial industrialized area. They built a product and imposed it on a market through a series of either promotions or marketing or advertising campaigns. Uh, most of them have been very successful and been around for some time. Particularly in my, my area of specialty, financial services, most companies have been around for 100 plus years. Uh, but what they're seeing is in other sectors, uh, if you look at transportation with Uber for instance, is the guys that start these businesses, so I'm talking about Travis at Uber but in particular, organically and engagingly work with the market's desires and needs to build a product that is more fitting of their actual aspirations, uh, particularly at a, at a higher level. And so the, the example I always give here, and this is where I challenge the banks, is nobody on the planet buys a mortgage, literally nobody. Now, yes, the mortgage is one of the most profitable products in a bank, but it's a part of a, a higher value chain. And that value chain is the process of buying a house. And so the great innovators and disruptors of our time are realizing that there is a, to, to, to own a, a, to own a uh, successful business, is all you have to do is serve a greater portion of that value chain. So Uber, for instance, instead of saying, okay, with Uber, we require you to go to a point to actually hail a taxi, to get to where you want to go, to pay cash, actually hope that they, that they take credit card, uh, to get to your endpoint, is Uber realized very, very early that that the, the value chain that a taxi operates in is actually getting from point A to point B. And point A might be your office, it could be your apartment, it could be you know, a cafe or a restaurant you're in. And they know that, say for instance, let, let's take New York as an example. If you're on a th the corner of 31st and Broadway and you need to get downtown, uh, that as a journey is different from, okay, I need to walk to the taxi stand on 6th Avenue because that will be going in the right direction to do the right U-turns to get down to where I wanted to go. And so Uber realized there is a higher, I need to get from point A to point B demand uh, to essentially change the performance benchmark of an entire industry. I mean, this is the same thing that put out of business Borders, Blockbuster, Kodak, uh, even to the points of, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica, where the performance measurement of their industry got changed overnight and consumers just expected more service. I love it. Okay, great. So I, I guess my question is this. So, like, I, I think that there are, like, when, when we think of innovation and we see examples, I think most people get it. They, they yep. see what Uber is doing and it's like, yep, you know, clearly they were an innovative, innovative company they're they're just doing awesome uh you know I, I mean just from a consumer standpoint i love them and i wish they were in my area they're unfortunately not right now but it's like it's one of those things like or amazon and amazon prime like it just it's brilliant you like when it it works it works but i guess yeah. how do you methodically go about implementing uh this type of innovation um and i know you mentioned it's not you know it's not necessarily found at the corporate level per se so i'm just curious how do we actually approach it to say, okay, I, I have my company, maybe I'm doing well, maybe we're doing, actually, maybe we're doing great, but we have like our business model, et cetera, et cetera. Like, how do you approach 
you know, doing something that is by its nature um, unpredictable. You don't know what you're going to get when you when you attempt to drive innovation. So how do you approach that? And and I guess what's an appropriate way to? Is there a framework or something we can do to actually approach that question? Uh, and Tom, I am super happy that that is, that is your third question because I, what what I say to everyone: ideas are cheap. You know, the idea that Uber started on is extremely easy. Uh, the idea that Instagram started on is extremely easy. The even Facebook, for example, the idea is easy. What makes the difference is the execution, and this 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 is equally applicable. Uh, for both startups and for corporates that are trying to innovate. Um, what it comes down to is exactly what you said. There needs to be a, a, a framework or a model in which you can follow to test the validity of an idea and know simple questions like, is it, if this idea is not flying, at what point in time should I discard it or change it? Uh, if I know this idea is flying, at what point in time should I invest more capital and scale it? And so over the period, over the last sort of eight years or the best part of a decade, the methodologies have gotten stronger and stronger. You know, Eric Rears has done really good work in the, in the areas of lean startup. Uh, the, the design agencies have done a really good job of championing the idea of design thinking. Uh, we've seen the technology world really championing methodologies like Agile. Uh, and the venture capital guys really champion the idea of, of um, cash and return. Uh, sorry return on cash models for actually uh, exploring options. And so if you fuse all of those together, we actually have a very strong methodology of what I call the innovation pipeline. And the innovation pipeline is basically around how do you create for your organization a, a number of strategic options um, through an ideation process. That could be two ideas or it could be 2,000 ideas. But then the methodology allows you to systematically go through those ideas and actually evaluate which ones do we have to throw in the trash can and which ones do we want to invest more, more, more time and money in? Uh, and that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a process that requires a degree of, uh, let's say, creativity, but it's also a process that requires the rigor of, of a methodology behind it to know that, okay, we believe this idea over here is worth $10,000, but this idea over here is worth $10 million. Uh, hence, we're, we're, we're going to back that one. Uh, and that's, that's a tough, tough, tough discussion at, at almost every corporate uh, you know, today they tr- they look to traditional consulting houses, the big, particularly the big consulting houses, and they get it wrong all the time. Uh, so it's a, how do we basically leverage the methodologies of basically Silicon Valley to build the you know the the future of any industry? Uh, and I said I'm, I spent a lot of time in healthcare, in insurance, in financial services, in retail, in pharmaceutical, uh, and you know the methodology pretty much stands up every single time in challenging that industry to think about what's next. Awesome. I love it. Okay. So, okay. So we have this framework. We have a uh, way to approach it. Um, and I think most people, you know, understand the idea of innovation and why it's so important. So now I want to talk a little bit about, um, is this, I guess my question is this, is this something that, that anybody can apply or is it, is it mostly geared towards larger companies? Is there a certain budget that's required? Um, and if it's not, uh, relegated to to larger companies, larger, larger corporations. How does a smaller business uh, find an innovative edge, or even a startup, as an example? You know, again, like Uber was a startup. Uh, I mean, I guess it still maybe technically is. I don't. It's pretty huge, but but the point is, you know, how how does something small, something that maybe lacks the amount of funding as like an established company or corporation that doesn't have that budget that can't say, okay, well, let's put you know X number of millions into this 
right from the get-go? Is there something that smaller organizations can do and apply this the same way? Yeah, so there's some really simple frameworks that will come out in the book, uh, which I talk about the ideation process. And literally, it's a structured process for coming up with ideas for, for, for strategic options. Uh, one, one of the things that challenges almost every interest, uh, industry today is they are so good at doing what they, are, what they do already that they forget about you know, almost blue sky thinking or adjacent industries or challenging the way things are in their industry. Uh, you know, a, a lot of my work is actually working with incumbents in, in, in almost every sector of basically coaching them to re-ask the core questions of why is it like that? You know, just because you say that's the rules and that's always been like that, that's not good enough. We need to dig deeper. We need to figure out why is it like that? Is that still the best possible way to do that particular thing? Uh, and, and so what, what that's actually required here is a structured way of challenging the status quo. Uh, because if you don't do it, uh, whether it's a small business or a large business, somebody else is already doing it. I mean, this is what, you know, everyone up, right up and down the, the valley are doing is literally challenging the incumbent way of thinking of every industry on the planet. Education, healthcare, financial services, uh, insurance, you know, social, retail, e-commerce, distribution, logistics, like everything is being questioned as, you know, is there a better way to do this industry, to revisit the core paradigms of that industry and to, and to challenge them. Okay, awesome. I love it. All right, so now I want to switch. I want to shift a little bit. Well, it's not a switch. It's a shift a little bit to innovation and publishing and yep. and kind of ties the story together and, and actually explains I mean, the book itself, that's what's so appropriate, I think, about how you're, you're attempting to, to leverage Publishizer. And so take me through this. Why, why go the route you're going? I think you're the type of person with a certain platform that you could probably get an agent, could probably get a traditional publisher right away going through those like, traditional means, um, yet you're, you're attempting to use Publishizer in, in, a, in a very unique way. So take me through that a little bit. Talk, talk through that. Yeah, I think to answer this question, Tom, I have to refer to two books because Mobile Ready and Innovation Wars will go through two very different journeys. Uh, someone like myself has a skill set that allows them to be entrepreneurial and that allows them allows someone like myself to have, uh, let's say, a bias towards controlling certain decisions within the process of producing something. So I am quite comfortable with ideation. I'm very comfortable with marketing. I'm very confident with distribution. I'm very confident with consumer outreach. I'm very good at building building demand. So all those things, okay, these are things that normally an author would get from a publisher. So you'd go from a large for a large publishing house because they know how to get your book sold to 10,000 people. Uh, but as a result, because of that, of buying into that know-how, they'd also then basically own the book because they would then say, okay, we're going to produce it our way because we have our own recipe for success. Uh, and so going through the process of Mobile Ready, I quickly realized that, look, I, I understand why, book, why publishers, publishers do it the way they do do it. It's the same way that a venture capitalist does investment in their own way as well. Uh, but I wanted more control. Uh, so I actually chose to partner with, with Guy at, at, at Publishizer to basically test a new model in publishing and that um, I would crowdfund the capital 
that a publisher would normally uh, basically advance to, to an author to produce the book. So in, in traditional publishing, uh, an author might get an advance of X amount of dollars that they would fund, okay, like funding research, uh, you know, concept design for the cover. Uh, it might fund, you know, uh, a publicist, for instance. So the, the components that would actually take up to bring a book to market. Um, so that when I work with Mobile Ready, uh, I was quite lucky in that I already had a background in marketing. I had a background in, in community engagement and sales. So I was actually able to raise nearly $35,000. So I had the money to produce the book myself. I didn't need the advance of a publisher. Um, so I, I chose and paid my own editor. I chose and paid my own publicist. I chose and paid my own production company. I chose and paid for my own distribution systems. And as a result, did quite well. I mean, the book was at the time the third highest crowdfunding book on the planet. Uh, and when I, when I actually put books in, into the Amazon warehouse, it made itself up to fourth in the consumer behavior book, the consumer behavior segment, which is not bad for a you know, first-time author, uh, independent as well. I then realized through that process there was a couple of things that I liked and just didn't like about the process. I loved owning the production process, particularly for someone like myself with an entrepreneurial kind of lean. I knew the components that I liked owning and deciding on, but I hated distribution. Uh, I would literally would have gone back and begged somebody to take over the distribution of the book. Mm -hmm. um, and so with the next book, I've decided that I'm going to try and do a hybrid. I, again, I'm not doing a full-scale publishing, uh, full uh, full publishing deal. I'm not going to do a full-scale self-published deal. So we're kind of, I, I haven't got a name for it just yet. With, you know, and Guy and I keep chatting about this. It's, it's kind of like a, almost what I call, I want to call it crowdfunded bridge, bridge publishing. Uh, and let me explain what that means. It basically means that I will crowdfund the, the money that it requires to produce the book and bring it to market. So when it gets the publisher... It's a book that is ready to go. It's sold X number of copies. It's already well known. It, it's ready to go into market. There is a bunch of collateral ready to support its ongoing sales. All they have to do, but even to the point where the manuscript ha has been, as I'm partnering with the, the same editor again, uh, the manuscript will be basically almost production ready. Uh, so all the things that would cost a publisher to produce a book, that risk has been taken off the table for them. So the hope is basically is that they'll then be able to pick up a book that already has, let's say, a 1,000 copies sold. Mm -hmm. All they have to do is distribute it, uh, which is, you know, if you're a publisher, particularly you know, an agent or a publisher, that's a pretty good deal to know that, okay, I'm going to pick up this book. There's a 1,000 copies already sold, and the, and the author already has a way to market the book. Um, and that's what I'm trying to test is basically saying, can I crowdfund the production but work with a traditional publisher for distribution? Perfect. Okay. I love this. So, okay. So I, I've gone through the publishizer process myself. I did it back in uh, 2014 and 2014, I think it was. And, um, and at the time I used it like any kind of traditional self publishing or, um, crowdfunding platform. Uh, I probably could have gone with, uh, you know, Kickstarter or something like that, but I wanted to go with publishizer primarily because a guy, cause he's a good dude. And, yeah. and I think, and he's, he's, he's hyper-focused on, uh, and I mean, the platform itself is all about books. So there was that. Um, there were a lot of other benefits to the platform, in my opinion, too. Um, but I think it was his, you know, focus on publishing, on on building something for writers and self publishers, uh, and and just his again his his focal point being 
writers and self-publishers that I think made the platform more appealing to me as somebody who's crowdfunding versus, say, using something like Kickstarter. Um, now, in, in this last last few months, he in, in really this past past year, I know he's been working on this shift to this kind of new new paradigm in publishing, where, for lack of a better way, the way I kind of understand it or perceive it is almost kind of becoming... Um, almost becoming the agent to some degree uh, in the process, in the value chain. As So the traditional pu- process, for those who aren't aware, um, if you want to get traditionally published, you need an agent. So you have to you know, put your manuscript out or, or your proposal out to, to – usually it's a proposal, not, not a full manuscript. But you'll keep your proposal out to different agents. You usually have to make calls and – you know, request, uh, you know, referrals or introductions. That's, that's usually like the, the, the best and fastest way to, to actually get an agent is, is finding somebody who can get you, get you a contact. So you have to hustle that. Then you have to, then the agent has to, you know, work to get your book in front of a publisher. Um, and there's like, there's, so basically there's, there's like multiple steps and, and, and middlemen. And so publishizer now with this new angle is kind of basically removing that agent process where if we can sell X number of books, there's going to be, a number of publishers who are very interested in that 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 asset, that entity, that that book that you're publishing through that platform, platform, uh, or rather not publishing, but at least um, pre pre selling. So that's kind of the new angle for those who are interested. So that wasn't around when I first did Publishizer, but that's kind of the angle it's taken, which I'm very excited about. So talk me a little bit through this, uh, Scott, in terms of how you how you want to leverage this platform in this way, and why you think um, like. W- what about it makes it appealing to you? Yes. So let me try and fill in some of the, the holes in your story. Sure. Uh, so full disclosure, I've been an advisor to Guy ever since my last book. Uh, I, I was the one that pushed Guy to kind of break the boundaries of traditional publishing uh, with Mobile Ready. Mobile Ready, I think even to date, is still Publishizer's most successful book. Um and so what we actually did is Guy and I actually had a very fortunate opportunity uh, probably about 18 months ago to actually meet with Random House, with Wiley, with with uh, O'Reilly, with Marshall Cavanish. So a lot, a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of big names in the publishing space. And to basically hear where is their, you know, what are they struggling with? Uh, and, and unanimously they said something to, that really resonated with Guy and I. And that was they see thousands of proposals every single month. I mean literally thousands. The challenge they have is they know, you know, we're, in the time they have, they know that 10% of books will actually work. And that's the 10% of books that actually make it to market. They'll also know that there's probably 50% of books that will never work. So uh, literally one in two proposals get rejected. But there's also this area in between, which is basically the 40 percenters, which, which they call uh, sort of the gray zone, where... They're kind of like, well, that's interesting. It's either a first of its kind or it's a new topic or it's a new genre. Uh, they just don't know, basically. And what they would love to have is a way of saying, what could I test to test the validity or the, particularly the commercial validity of this particular book to remove the, the commercial risk? Because anytime, anytime a traditional publisher in, uh, agrees to take a book to market, they will be investing time and money to bring that book to market. And, and we're, not, we're not talking small dollars. You know, I, I, um, my estimate from where I stand is I don't see them a- a- investing any less than $25,000 per book they bring to market. 
Uh, and that's everything from paying the editor, the publicist, the cover designer, the printing of the first run, getting into the various stores and, and so forth. It's expensive. So if you, if you think about this, if you're a venture capitalist that's investing in ventures, that's a, with a fairly unknown, that's a bit of a challenge. And so what we realized is there was an opportunity here. If we could take that 40% and help validate the commercial viability of those books, we would go a long, long way to actually reducing the risk uh, of these kind of gray, uh, gray area books for the publishers. And so, you know, Guy hasn't found a publisher, uh, sorry, an author yet to actually test that. Uh, I just happen to be the, the stupid or the brave, I'm not sure which one is yet, uh, that's, that's, that's bold enough to go and actually test that model. Um, so if I can go out there and basically raise $50,000 off the back of this book that produces the book, uh, it has, say, a thousand copies pre-sold, that actually significantly reduces the risk for a publisher to then take on the book uh, as a book within their, within their portfolio. And that's what we're trying to test here. Uh, is you know really showing that there is a there is an opportunity for potentially more books to come to market. So if this, I mean if this, if this model works, you're probably going to see thousands more, I mean tens of thousands more authors around the world get a chance to actually test the validity, the commercial validity of their books. Okay, so I love this, and and again, I think it's great that you have that insider perspective. Then again, as an advisor to Guy and, and publicizer. And having had the, the chance to have these conversations with traditional publishers, I think is excellent. So my question is this: What's the biggest, like, like looking at it from like a devil's advocate perspective? What's the biggest downside to this model for a for a traditional publisher? I think, and, and I'll, I'll put my you know thoughts out there real quick. I would think that probably the biggest, and, the, and again, the kind of the biggest challenge for a publisher itself, and and for your book when it comes out, is the fact that um, you know publishers have a process they have a f- they have their own funnels they have their own system and it's like if it's not broke don't fix it kind of thing i, I although i think most people probably agree that publishing is pretty broken and the nature of kind of what you ex- you, you explain in terms of total cost that it you know takes to get a book to market makes it like a really challenging um marketplace so what is the biggest i i'm curious what is from from the perspective of the publisher what's the biggest challenge with adopting a, uh, a a new angle like this, or a new uh, a new approach um, to publishing using something like Publicizer. And, and so, I think you've hit the nail on the head in your question. There, and and this is this is not specific to publishing. This is this is the exact same challenge for any industry. The the big challenge for them is getting their mind around changing the way they've always done things. Uh, for a I would say ninety percent of people who work in publishing. They just accept the way they do to things today is the way they always are and always will be. Uh, and so the publishers that will survive, particularly, uh, I would say, to the end of the decade, uh, are the ones that are nimble enough to now realize that there is new methods, there is new ways of doing things. Uh, authors actually have significantly more power to actually validate the potential of their book without their, without their help. Uh, and so if a publisher wants to remain valid, this is a good way of saying, okay, how can I work with an author that's already de-risked their book and have them help it then help bring them to market? How can, I have them still, how can I still then be their publisher? The challenge for them is, uh, and they'll know this very, very obviously, is that you know, for most agents and for publishers, they, you know, 
they get significantly better royalties off a book, uh, or sorry, commissions even even off a book if they own the the, the initial investment. So let's say, for instance, if, if, if a publisher gives you $30,000 advance to produce your book, um, that is a $30,000 investment in your book, at, at like a seed investment in a startup. And as a result, they, they, that comes at a cost. Um, it basically means that because they're the ones that are funding the capital, the commissions that are paid to an author are usually under 20%. Where if the author is the one that's actually raised the capital and tested the book, the risk significantly almost flips. And so you're, you're probably going to see right now the big challenge for, for publishers is considering, the, is considering the possibility of would they still do a book deal if we had a book that's pre-sold 2,000 copies, the author has, has basically already funded the production process, so all of the upfront costs are gone. Uh, all they have to do is, is distribute it. But... The, the, the percentages of commission are reversed. Uh, you know, so would the author, now the author now gets 70% and the publisher gets 30%, would they still do the same deal? Uh, I, I don't know. That's what we're trying to test here. Uh, that's what we're trying to test right now. It's basically, now I'm not saying that these are percentages that we're targeting for, but what literally saying is that, okay, instead of depending on the publisher to provide that seed capital for a book and to take the risk, what if I take the risk myself? What if I take the risk by pre-selling the book? Um, it basically changes immediately the risk model within in, in the commercial validity of any book. Mm. Okay, so now, okay, so my question on that is though, like, does it is there any is there any downside to actually getting pre-orders for a book um, on the publisher side? I would think not, because again, depending on however the contract works out on the back end, you know, they kind of reap the rewards of that of the press that's already developed. You've 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 mitigated the downside risk. You've you've validated. That people care about the idea at least, and they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. Um, is there any downside to the published uh, to, to the publisher to do this um, in terms of like because because the one thing it's it, I, I the one thing I, I look at it and I, I, I perceive it seems like I perceive is that it seems to some degree that publishers might be like oh well if you've already pre-ordered you've already you know done the pre-orders you've already done this kind of campaign well maybe that maybe that lessens what what they think they could do with the book had they just gone through their traditional channels. Do you, do you find any kind of challenge there um, on the publisher side? I mean, the, the challenge is literally just the mind shift in themselves. Is right. Can they accept a new way of doing things? And, and, and this is not specific to publishing. This is a challenge of innovation in almost every sector. Uh, except, I, mean, I mean, I've seen the exact same mental yeah. challenge in the insurance sector, in the banking sector, in, in retail I mean, have a look in look in Australia right now. You have retailers lobbying government to charge um, uh, different forms of sale tax, sales tax, so that they can attempt to recapture some of the market they've lost to e-commerce. Uh, we see uh, taxi drivers protesting in the street in Paris and London because they're like, "How can Uber change the, our industry overnight?" Um, the reality is, change is coming in every sector. Mm-hmm. That's 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 an unstoppable unstoppable force. Yeah, the ones that are not only surviving but thriving are those that realize that if you pounce on this change earlier, you actually can be you basically get first mover advantage. You can actually end up working with working with a movement and become a powerhouse. I mean, <laughs> I often laugh at this. Is it so? Uh, it's a question I ask my uh, my my clients a lot. 
mm-hmm. is what do you think are the three most, so the three highest growth days in Uber's history? And, and most of them were like, oh, it was this, it was that, blah, blah, And I go, no, actually, you know what it was? It was the day that Paris taxi drivers burnt tires on the freeway. Because basically what they did is they shut down public transportation for the country. People were forced to use Uber. The, par- the, the Paris taxi drivers forced nearly 800% growth for Uber users in Paris on one day. And so the people that actually resist change are the ones that will end up enabling change for those that have been early adopters. The, mm-hmm. same, hap- the same happened in London. The mm-hmm. same happened in, in New York when, yeah. uh, when uh, was it Mayor Bl- Bloomberg yep. uh, ruled, against, uh, ruled against Uber in yellow caps. I mean, it's basically a trend. So those that, res- that resist the change will significantly lose out and inadvertently actually encourage the adoption of change. Yeah. So I might, I mean, I mean, if I was a publisher today, I would be saying, how do I invest heavily in being ahead of the curve? Like, how do I, and I'd almost, I mean, this is almost a self-fulfilled, self-fulfilling prophecy for myself and for Guy. Right. Is, but how do I make this model work? And how do I start now seeing lower risk books with a higher return? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what it boils down to for a publisher. They have lower risk books that are already pre-sold. I mean, any publisher on the on the world would like would scream for that kind of that kind of success. Uh, and so the ones, literally, the, I mean, the publishers that we that we you know that we see right now that are interested in that kind of model are the ones that are probably going to be the ones that own publishing in the next five years. Gosh, I love this. I'm super excited about this book. Um, I guess full disclosure too, maybe I should have said this at the beginning. So I'm helping out with uh, with Innovation Wars for those who are listening, um, running kind of the marketing and promotion and outreach piece of it. And I'm very excited about this project because it's something, um, while I've done crowdfunding campaigns for books before, never with this angle, never with this goal, um, never with this focus. And it, I think it will be disruptive. I'm, I'm super excited. So our our goal, and this is what I'm very excited about, is how do we run this campaign um, and pre-sell enough copies to get a publisher interested in, and basically get, you know, get somebody to take over the distribution and fulfillment for Scott's book, Innovation Wars. And it's a fun challenge, man. I think it's going to be exciting. Um, any other, you know, thoughts uh, or, or anything else to add to that in, in terms of like, you know, people who are listening? Um, because this will go live when the campaign's live. So any other thoughts for them? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's exactly that. So, the, I mean, one of the good things that the book journey has actually created for myself, and this is this will come out when the when the book actually comes out. All the people that I've interviewed in this book are the people that are naturally attracted to or already enabling innovation in their sector. Um, so they're just as enthusiastic as you are. I mean, you're enthusiastic for seeing innovation in in the publishing space, but my my insurance clients are just as as enthusiastic for seeing innovation in insurance. Uh, it's it's almost like I mean I mean I, I don't want to you know blow my own horn but quite regularly I work with cl- with with clients that end up transforming an industry. Uh, I mean if you look at look at my look at my CV and you'll see that I worked with one of the uh, I worked with Wing Money in Cambodia right? that that was my my sort of my start of my entrepreneurial career. Wing Money today pr- pr- processes 37 percent of the country's GDP. Because they were just that innovative, they created an ecosystem that not even the banks could, could compete with. We then repeated that in, in Bangladesh, working with BrackBank, where I had a client again, an innovation client, and we built them a mobile payment subsidiary called Bcash, 
you know, three days before we recorded this interview, Bill Gates was talking about how Bcash will be the biggest financial services company on the planet, surpassing the success of, uh, of mobile money in Africa. Uh, and it's just by basically following the principles that are outlined in the book of saying, okay, how do you find someone who has the courage to challenge the status quo and follow a process in, into creating a future? And, and so I, I find, I mean, this is a buzz that I get every single time, every time I work with a client. I love working with clients that are like, I know my industry is broken. Help me fix it. They are the best clients on the planet to work with. I love this. Awesome, Scott. Well, I'm super excited. Very, I mean, uh, you know, obviously uh, biased, but um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I try to remain unbiased in my biasness. But no, I mean, the reality is super pumped about the book. I think the idea is, uh, you know, infinitely fascinating to me. I'm a big fan of startups and the concept of innovation and, and what drives that uh, and, and what, you know, what, what, how do we actually really find that competitive edge? Cause it's not just copying and replicating what everybody else is doing, but, but in any industry you have, you have to like you, as a matter of survival, uh, innovation is a part of that. So I'm excited about the book. I'm especially excited about the publishing angle on this and how we're hopefully we'll, we'll flip the, uh, the publishing model on its head a little bit here with this kind of great experiment um, and pumped to be a part of it with you. So Scott, thank you so much for being on in the trenches and sharing your story. And I will say this to, to anybody's listening, go to publishizer.com and I'm sure you'll find innovation wars at the top of the page somewhere there. Uh, so check out publishizer.com and look for innovation wars by Scott Bales, pick up a copy, help us break the publishing paradigm uh, the old school way of thinking and help us kind of usher in a new way of uh, new innovate new innovations in publishing. So Scott, thank you so much for being on in the trenches, man. No worries, Tom. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's uh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorkis.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.